The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. When the Facts Change is brought to you by the Spin-Off Podcast Network, in partnership with Kiwi Bank, the bank for Kiwi looking to get ahead in business and in life, a bank that delivers expertise and banking know-how, smart advice for business owners wanting to invest, grow their business or diversify, a bank that adapts with technology through the lens of its people and customers, that is a bank with heart that is driven by its purpose, Kiwi making Kiwi better off. There's a couple of numbers in our economy that you should really have in the back end of your mind if you're trying to work out what on earth is going on out there. And one of them is the official cash rate. It's the price of money right at the bottom of of the economy, the thing that everything else sits above. And the official cash rate is right in the hands of the Reserve Bank. It controls monetary policy and is able to turn that dial to either speed up the economy or slow it down in the short term to get inflation under control. Now, obviously, inflation at the moment, well over 4%, and the Reserve Bank has tightened the official cash rate over the last couple of years to that 5.5%. And the debate was coming up to this monetary policy statement and decision this week would the Reserve Bank hike again? Because inflation's still sticky and high, and last time they spoke in November, they uh, suggested they might hike again. And there was uh, a bit of a debate that grew in the two or three weeks before this decision. Well, we have a decision now. It is a hold, 5.5%. And the Reserve Bank has, in effect, um, taken off the table the uh, potential for a rate hike and that for the rest of the year it expects that official cash rate to stay at five and a half percent before falling over the next year or so. In this week's When the Facts Change, I spoke to Adrian Orr, the governor of Teputia Matua, the Reserve Bank, uh, about what's going on with inflation, not just here but globally. Is it sticky? Is it high? Has something changed structurally? We also talk about the Reserve Bank's mandate. This became a big big political uh, hot topic during the election. Should the Reserve Bank still have a mandate to support maximum sustainable employment? And in this interview, uh, Adrian Orr uh, points out that uh, he doesn't think that removing the mandate, which is what the new government has done, removing that employment mandate, has actually changed too much about how the Reserve Bank runs. He also makes the point, and uh, for me this is the sort of news part of of this interview, that uh, the surge in net migration has actually net helped drag down inflation in the last year or so. Now, it's not going to be a constant relationship and you can't just, uh, in a routine way, in a blunt way, dial up migration and dial down migration to try to get inflation uh, where you want it. But certainly, it's been one of those factors that's changed the economic outlook over the last year. 
And he says, on balance, uh, that it's helped drag down inflation. So at the moment, uh, migration is slowing down, and that will be an interesting one to see how it plays out over the next uh, couple of years. We also talked about the effect of climate change on uh, monetary policy and interest rates. He's very much of the view that um, uh, trying to hold down interest rates to invest in climate uh, technology and electrification is not a good idea, that beating inflation is the first thing we should all do. And um, it's an enlightening chat. He's always a very accessible and clear speaker about monetary policy. And if you want to learn about how the Reserve Bank does its stuff, this is a, a useful way to look at it. And just finally, um, the key thing to watch, I think, over the next uh, six to 12 months on monetary policy and what happens with mortgage rates, because, of course, for those people who have borrowed, they have uh, mostly rolled off now, about 80% have rolled off their cheap rates onto more expensive rates. The key thing to know is that the banks have been um, holding on to uh, some of the fall in wholesale interest rates, holding on to that as a wider profit margin in recent months. And in theory, uh, this week's decision has taken any doubt away and they should be clear to start passing it on. Whether they do is another thing. In the Reserve Bank's monetary policy statement news conference, Adrian Orr said he was expecting the banks to compete hard and pass that on, but uh, we shall see whether they do. And uh, in my view, one of the key things to watch is in the second half of the year when the Reserve Bank uh, uh, releases uh, some of the re LVR restrictions, and also we know a lot more about what the tax cuts will be from the May 30th budget. I think that's when the banks, the retail banks, might start to use some of their uh, dry powder um, to start cutting uh, mortgage rates. There we have it, um, an interview with Adrian Orr, the guy pulling the levers, well, he and the Monetary Policy Committee are pulling the levers on what happens with the official cash rate and interest rates this week on When the Facts Change. Well, kia ora and welcome to When the Facts Change to Adrian Orr, the Governor of Te Putia Matua, the Reserve Bank of New Zealand. Um, welcome into When the Facts Change, Adrian. Kia ora, Bernard. We're talking the day after the release of the monetary policy statement and a fresh set of forecasts and views about the economy and inflation. And uh, the Reserve Bank's Monetary Policy Committee uh, decided to hold the official cash rate at 5.5%. Could you tell us uh, uh, why you've decided to hold, given at the last monetary policy statement at the end of November, there was, you know, some concern about high inflation and potentially the, the need, you said then, to hike interest rates again. What's, what's changed since then and why have you decided to hold? Uh, well, I almost think it's like the title of your podcast, um, When the Facts Change. <laughs> um, so uh, we have kept our economic projection broadly the same over the last 18 months. In fact, we went through a process just comparing and seeing um, you know, how right or wrong we've been. And, and uh, remarkably, we have been very consistent with our projections and economic activity has been unfolding as anticipated. Back in November, um, there was still a lot of data to go under the bridge and we were still 
uh, hadn't received updates on on inflation, inflation expectations, the labour market, a, a, a wealth of data. So at that point, we were confident we had monetary policy in a restrictive place with interest rate, you know, the cash rate at 5.5, but we could never say never um, around whether we uh, needed to do more. So what we actually said at the time was, if the economy unfolds as anticipated, uh, our projection was to keep the official cash rate where it was. The good news is that is what's happened. Um, we've seen inflation decline. Uh, all measures of an, uh, underlying inflation, inflation expectations have all declined, and that gives us more confidence that you know the outlook is is broadly as anticipated. So um, the other part, and just you know, really briefly, uh, we provide economic projections where we think um, we've got the midpoint, and you know the risks around those projections should be balanced. Uh, what wasn't balanced and hasn't been balanced is the committee's ability to weather upside surprises to inflation. So it was really more about our our risk appetite um, was the asymmetric component, not the forecasts. When you're sitting at 4.7% inflation and you're aiming at two, you don't have much headroom for continued upward surprises for inflation. Uh, we're now feeling more confident that we're on the path to low and stable inflation. So if things go as as you've forecast there, um, when could we see the official cash rate be cut? In our projections, um, subject to the economy working out as anticipated, and of course, no unanticipated events, um, you know, the types of shocks we've gone through, our projection is that um, towards the end of the year and going into, into 2025, hopefully we'll be renormalizing interest rates back to a more neutral place. The good news will be by that stage, inflation will be under 3%. It'll be back within our target range, and we will be more confident about um, easing up on the restriction. Just looking at inflation over the last year or two, uh, it seems to have come down perhaps a bit slower than some people would have liked or expected. And the, the word sticky is, is used a lot about mm. inflation, particularly domestic inflation. Can you give us a sense of what you think is going on with domestic inflation and whether or not it is sticky and maybe even too sticky? Yes, that's a good question, and that has been a global phenomenon that um, the headline CPI inflation is made up of two broad components. The first one is is what we call tradables inflation, and this is the international traded goods and services prices. Um, they can be very volatile. They can rise very quickly, as we saw when Russia invaded Ukraine. Um, likewise, they can fall quickly when um, OPEC increases oil production, as examples. So uh, that's been the volatile part. Sitting underneath the headline, the tradable inflation, is this domestic, homegrown, non-tradable, you know, basically domestic-driven inflation. That is always slow-moving. Um, it hasn't been any uh, slower than usual. It is behaving as, as uh, you know, as we anticipated. It just moves slowly because it takes a long time between the shift in the interest rate for its peak impact on the actual inflation rate. We estimate anywhere between 12 to 18 months um, between the monetary policy impact and the inflation outcome. And, you know, you have to be credible. People have to believe that you're going to be doing this and it needs to get, you know, feed through into price setting behaviours, spending and investment expectations. 
uh, wage expectations. And so, you know, there, there are a lot of lags involved. The new, good news for us is the transmission mechanisms don't seem to be any different. And um, domestic inflation is coming down as, as um, anticipated. We would hope so because, you know, we, we've got our foot on the brake. Between the global financial crisis and COVID, um, a lot of people were surprised at how subdued inflation was. The surprises always seem to be on the uh, mm. on the low inflation side. But since COVID, uh, if anything, the surprises have been on the other side. Do you think something has changed in the uh, inner workings of the global economy and our economy to make uh, inflation higher and and stickier? No. Um, I will elaborate <laughs> on the note, but yep. you know the what we've seen, what we saw. You were right um, over the decade prior to um, twenty twenty was the the era of the great moderation, low and stable inflation, and um, and a lot of people thought. In fact, it was commented to me when I left um, my previous role to come here to the bank. Why are you going there? Central banks are redundant. You know they actually thought inflation had somehow been banned and never comes back. Um, the answer is, you know, rust never sleeps. Um, you've always got to make sure that you're managing it through the monetary policy cycle. What happened was a series of unfortunate incidents, all to the one side. We had some major economic shocks, all of which put upward pressure on inflation, and they followed, you know, sequentially. The first one, of course, COVID, when when you shut everything down, it means your supply capacity of the economy um, is ground to zero. If demand is still going, which it was, you know, we were making sure people were engaged globally to, to the labour force, demand is still going, but the ability to supply is incredibly limited, and that puts the upward pressure immediately on prices. We saw that. The second one, uh, just pure relative price shocks, the price of actually trading goods and services um, went through the roof uh, because ports were shut. You couldn't find workers. Um, you know, literally trade was was um, um, hand to mouth. And then the third shock, um, all within the same twelve month period, was was uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, which put energy and food prices through the roof. So you see these three um, consecutive shocks, and then domestically back at home, we had uh, some um, heinous weather events. So again, domestic food prices and the ability to um, supply goods and services was completely constrained. So when you unpeel all of those things, underlying it is still the same behaviour. It's just that um, all the shocks were frequent and in the one direction. The one big thing that has uh, globally that has changed um, structurally is that China uh, had been, you know, the inflation dividend for the last three decades suddenly entering the global markets, whole new labour force, incredibly efficient, cheap production of goods. And, you know, we saw the real price of many products declining um, consistently through time. That has largely run its course. And China and themselves are trying to change their own um, drivers of economic growth. And the other part to it is that geopolitically, our just-in-time stock management has become a just-in-case stock management. People are less trusting on trade channels, less um, trusting on on relying on foreign services or, or you know complicated supply chains. So you know there, those are two reasons why we can't just sit here and hope that tradables inflation will come and save the day.
Win the Facts Change is brought to you in partnership with KiwiBank to help you understand the issues affecting the economy. And that's what their team of experts is here to do too. Here's KiwiBank economist Sabrina Delgado on what's happening with the labour market in Aotearoa. Our slowing economy gives way to higher unemployment, and we're seeing tightness in the labour market quickly abating. Both a recovery on the supply side, with our surging migration, boosting labour supply and loosening some very tight labour market conditions. But now a stronger narrative is coming through. As consumer demand cools, so too is the demand for labour. Firms are no longer hiring with the same gusto. Already, unemployment has started to lift from record lows, and we expect that to continue throughout 2024. Visit kiwibank.co.nz to stay up to date with detailed economic analysis and forecasts from Sabrina and other KiwiBank experts. They take big issues from both here and overseas and make them relevant to Kiwi businesses. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. There have been some people, though, who say that there's something deeper, more structural going on. Aside from China, you've got uh, climate change appearing to increase, for example, insurance costs um, quite, a, quite a bit, and that seems to be some sort of permanent shift. You've got in developed economies, uh, aging populations, and it seems with COVID, a whole bunch of people have either retired early or are just sick and not working, that these... Um, look like some sort of more permanent supply shocks, which would mean in the longer run, you'd see slightly higher neutral interest rates than we might have seen before COVID. Yes, I mean, you know, your analysis is uh, spot on, as always. If one comment I would make is is the first thing, don't get relative prices confused with aggregate inflation, is what I'd say, say to the listeners. A lot of the things you talked about is the price of a, a particular good or service, and they will always change depending on demand, supply, quality, needs, et cetera, and, um, so, and they will get knocked around by different shocks, as you mentioned, um, demographic ageing, uh, climate change. So relative prices are moving. Our role is to make sure that a relative price shift that reflects supply or demand doesn't turn into aggregate inflation. That is, everyone hiding behind a cost increase and, and doing cost plus pricing and then you know getting into that inflation spiral. So that, that's the role of monetary policy, to control the price of money, to make sure it re- retains its value through time. But you are correct, the demographics uh, the climate change, these are all things that can impact on the productivity of an economy. And the productivity is the underlying driver of the potential supply capacity of an economy. In New Zealand, you know, just using our local example, productivity is very low. It's our number one bane. You know, this is, this is well, we can produce, increase output by having more inputs but to do it on a sustainable basis, you have to do also do things more productively or do better things. A low productivity economy means that its potential growth rate is very low before inflation starts raising its head. And so that's in large part what's happening globally. You think of the potential growth rate of China when you or I at 
at school for those two weeks, it was, uh, uh, you know, you're talking 7 8% potential economic growth year in, year out. Now you're talking something around 4%. And so that's about potential economic growth. New Zealand is, you know, down at that, um, in, a, in a developed economy mode, you know, we, we've got potential growth rates, you know, down below 3%. Just uh, looking now at that um, climate issue, one of the concerns people who'd like to see an awful lot of investment in electrification and decarbonification say is um, if we keep putting up interest rates to control inflation all the time, we're not going to be able to invest what we need in all of these new uh, uh, renewable electricity plants and systems. Um, what's your What's your view on whether monetary policy should take into account the need to get to carbon zero fast? I, I think that's without um, disrespect. That's uh, silly thinking. You know, the the number one enemy of investing is inflation. Um, you think of the cost of construction, cost of investing over the last three to five years. Um, you know, if you're doing a project that's going to last longer than 12 months, then what confidence do you have of the eventual bill you will pay if inflation is high and variable? So the interest rate is a tool around managing overall inflation. The investment you're talking about is critical long term and can be managed through through smart balance sheet management. You know, you don't lock in today's interest rate forever. You lock in today and roll it as you need and think about the long-term gains through that. So uh, I would say the biggest constraint on investing in, in alternative energies is the current low cost of fossil fuels. You know, that they are always being priced where it makes the alternative just not quite worth the effort. That's the nature of markets operating. Now, just looking at one of the big changes in the last year or so in Aotearoa's economy is the uh, high net migration. What's the Reserve Bank's view now um, about whether this is uh, going to boost inflation or whether all these extra workers might actually drag down inflation? Um, so what we've seen to date with this particular cycle, which has been you know, historically significant, we've had a 2% increase in our population over the last couple of years, uh, driven primarily by inward net inward migration. So it's done a couple of things. The first thing, it's boosted the productive capacity of the economy. Firms were able to finally fill those vacancy rates and get activity done. Uh, so that was, you know, a supply side positive impact on on the productive capacity. The second thing it's done is tempered wage expectations and wage inflation because there's now more competition in the labour market for those vacancies. And so what we've actually been pleased to see is that with the interest rates where we are to get inflation down, the labour market and unemployment has not moved very much at all, touch wood. We still expect it to rise, the unemployment rate, uh, over the next 12 months. But uh, to date, it's been a, a, a relatively soft landing, in part because of the supply of labour and and manageable wage expectations. On the demand side, um, spending per capita has been falling. People really are pulling their heads and making tough decisions and choices um, to make ends meet. The challenge is that there's more capita, there's more people. So, you know, it is um, migration has added to aggregate spending pressure, even though per capita spending is declining. Where you are seeing the real impact of it at the moment is uh, the price of dwelling, rents, 
you know, the rental market is very hot, very expensive. That's because there are more people looking for a bed. Uh, we still lack dwelling. Building is slowing, not growing. And so it's mostly showing up in rental prices, not house prices. I just wonder, though, is there a net figure you've come to in terms of, you know, uh, 2% growth in the population? Is that going to push up overall inflation or bring it down, or is it just a bit of a wash? To date, I would say, um, and, you know, this is standing back with my thumb in the air at five feet, I would say it's been a net downward impact on overall inflation because of the particular context that that this uh, migration um, surge um, has occurred within. What do I mean by that? The number one constraint on economic growth and hence the number one push on inflation was labour scarcity, you know, vacancies through the roof. It's very rare to see in surveys where lack of labour is your number one constraint on your business. Generally, it's lack of demand. And so, you know, the the inflow of people removed a really sticky point of inflation. Now, that will change through time, you know, now that the vacancies have been picked up, um, now people, you know, they're, they're going to be wanting dwelling, eating food, stuff. It would be a, a boost to the potential growth rate, but probably from here on in supporting inflation rather than reducing it. Just finally, um, the other change in, in recent months has been the um, removal of the employment mandate from uh, the Reserve Bank's targets, if you like, the removal of the mandate to support uh, maximum sustainable employment. Um, the the new government said they wanted to do that to, uh, uh, they thought, improve the Reserve Bank's focus on getting inflation down. What's your view now um, uh, with uh, the so-called cleaner mandate, whether that's had any impact on how you've um, run monetary policy? Yes. So, you know, I'll just make it clear to the listeners that it's a government decision what our mandate is and, you know, we accept it or find a job somewhere else. Um, So, (laughs) uh, you know, just make that clear. What we had done Fortuitously, um, not long before the elections, we had provided our five-year annual review of monetary policy and what the remit could, you know, how is it serving us. We made it really clear that throughout the remit, inflation was our primary goal, and that was also in the remit. It said maintain low and stable inflation while supporting maximum sustainable employment. So maintain beats support. And um, so we said... Uh, make sure that primacy is very clear. Um, they made it very clear in the new remit so because they, they just took it out of the headline, objective function, and put it into something else we have to have regard to. So I would say nuance that may be important around people's expectations and understanding of what we do, but in practice, very little change. We need to really understand the labour market um, as a key component of what drives inflation and hence monetary policy. And our research efforts and understanding continue at at full speed. Throughout the time we had the uh, previous mandate, we never once came up against a conflict between maintaining inflation and supporting employment. We never came to a trade-off. We were always aiming at the single goal. Nga mihi nui, Governor Adrian Orr, uh, thank you very much for being on When the Facts Change. Kia ora and all the very best. Nga mihi.
When the Facts Change was brought to you by the Spin-Off Podcast Network, together with KiwiBank. Visit kiwibank.co.nz to find out how KiwiBank are making Kiwi better off. Kia ora e te iwi, Tiai Butler here, Podcast Manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.